Let's pray. Father, we, you know, after singing a song like that, you should appear as to be very, very great, large, magnificent, holy in our minds. And in seeing you in that way, and then knowing who we are, as we've just sung as well, prone to wander and prone to leave, and yet knowing that you in covenant faithful love and goodness have come to us, covenanted with us, through the immovable, unshakable blood of Christ, God, there should be nothing on our lips but worship, thankfulness, gratitude, love for you. And so I pray tonight, Father, that you would help us. Help us to better receive, help us better to understand, help us to better apply, help us to better live out this faith that you've given to us that sets our eyes upon you and then makes us and helps us want to pursue you as well. So we thank you for tonight and for this time that we have together. Blessed be your name, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119, 57 through 64 tonight. You can turn there if you like. Scroll there if you like, however you like. Follow along. There are certain passages of Psalm 119 that I come to that just seem to have all the components of what I think we practically and realistically experience in our lives. You ever seen one of those movies where it's like, it just had everything. It made me laugh. It made me cry. It had me on the edge of my seat. It had me in suspense and all that. I mean, just had all the elements. And I think, that to me at least, this passage, this section of Psalm 119 kind of has all of those elements. There is worship individually. There is worship corporately. There's this covenant relationship. There's obedience. There's promises. There's the enemy's presence. And there's the love of the Lord that encompasses all of it. If I were to give this, this portion a title, it would be, my portion is the Lord of love. As a believer, my portion is the Lord of love. And you can't talk about God being the Lord of love without talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. God himself in the flesh. Perfect example of love, God's love given to us that God himself comes to us in the flesh, lives a perfect life, dies a horrific death on our behalf, to, of which we're huge beneficiaries of his love and sacrifice for us. And we see all of that embodied in Jesus Christ. And I think... For me personally, as I was reading through this, it was such a wonderful and sweet reminder to know that my portion in life is the Lord of love. 
if God is the Lord and and He is the Lord of love as described in this passage, and I am in a covenant relationship with this Lord of love, then everything that He ordains and takes place, that allows to take place in my life, is guarded by and held within the boundaries of of His knowledge of how His love can be best expressed to me. And the same is true for you. He know, in other words, he knows best how to love his people realistically, genuinely, authentically. There's a song, there's an old hymn. It says, it's titled, Whatever My God Ordains is Right. And the song is literally about that. Whatever my God ordains is right. Everything is right in his eyes that he allows, that he does. And... Um, I'm encouraged by that as I read that, this psalm and think about that song as well. Psalm 119.57 starts off with this proclamation, the Lord, and again, every time we see the, the term or the name Lord, we think of it's liter- the translation of Yahweh, the God, the personal God who has identified himself with a name. Yahweh, the Lord, is my portion. I think I could just stop right there and think about that and talk about that all night. The Lord, what does it mean for the believer to say, the Lord is my portion? You think of what a portion is. We think about portions in terms of distribution of food, of allotment of territory. It's used both ways in Scripture. I, I, th- I thought of this story <clears throat> as I was reading through this. One of my younger brothers was dating a young lady years and years ago, and we tell this story all the time and poke fun at my brother, generally. And uh, the, the gal that he was dating, though, we had just made like this pan of brownies and cut, cut them into their, their squares. And everyone knows like the best brownie is the one in the middle, right? I mean, if, you, if you're one of these people that like one of the edge brownies, there's something wrong with you, okay? It's the one in the middle is the best. And I kid you not, comes out, we slice it up, you know, she's the first one in line, and she digs straight into the middle of the pan and grabs the middle brownie. I'm like, that, there is social etiquette involved in here in distribution of the brownies. You just don't do that. And why did she do that? Because it's the best one. It's the best portion of that, of that pan of brownies. You think about what's the best portion of, um, you know, what's the best cut of meat? What's the best piece of pie? What's the best portion? It's, it's what we value the most. It's what we love the most. It's what we look forward to. It's what, it's what everybody wants. Everybody wants the best portion. And for the believer, the Lord He's my portion. He's the best. There's no even close second. There's an, if the Lord were an allotment of land and I had Him as my allotment, I would have the best allotment of land there is. The Lord is my portion. He is he's what I have. He's who I love first and foremost 
above everything and above everybody else. My prayer is that we, could, we can truly say as believers in having Christ, having God Himself as your Lord, you, would say, you could say, I have the best portion that there is to have in life. I have all that I could ever need. I could have all that I ever want because I have Him. The Lord is my portion. And I promise to keep your words. You see for the psalmist that the word of God is bound and and tied to God himself. To have the Lord as portion is to prize his words. That's why the psalmist promises to keep them. Because you are my portion, I have you, I have your word, and the appropriate response is in having your word, my desire is to keep it. I see you for who you are. You are the best portion that there is. I love you exceedingly. I see how well and perfectly you love me. My response would be, why would I not want to have your word? Why would I not want to have your expression of yourself to me? In your word, in, in God's word, what is it that we have? The definition of who he is? the reiteration of his promises, the good news of the gospel, Jesus Christ himself being the word of God. This is why, again, the psalmist says over and over again in Psalm 119 that God's word, his precepts, his instructions, his statutes are more valuable than life. Because to have God's word and love his word is to have God himself, to have him as your portion. I entreat your favor with all my heart. You see this full engagement of the psalmist. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Seize within the word of God a wonderful promise nestled within it. We've talked about this before, how the psalmist takes this theme of the promise that he knows God has made and and holds on to it. The promise as it continues to unfold. That salvation has always been justification by faith. Throughout all the Old Testament as well, as the New. And they believed in what it was that God had revealed to them about His promise to save mankind up to that period of time. They believed in Genesis 3.15. They believed that one would come that would, that would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman would crush the head of the one who bruised his heel. And they, with anticipation, look forward to seeing who this one is, this, this promised one. 
they're holding on to as ones who have been brought into covenant relationship with God. They know they're recipients of this promise. They are simply waiting for the full unveiling of it. For us, we know that the promise has been fulfilled in Christ. He is the one, the promised one that has come and rules and reigns victoriously. And so we look to him to to keep the promise and to deal with us according to the promise that he has made to us in Christ. We cling to him. We cling to the promise that he's made. And the appropriate response to that is what we see in verses 59 and 60. Because the Lord is my portion, because God deals with us according to the promise that he's made to us, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. What response would I want to make? What response would I make? Should I make to this one who is my portion, who, who has spoken wonderful promises to me, has kept every single one of them, but obedience? Listen to what he says. When I think on my ways, you ever do that? You ever think about your life? You ever think on your ways, what it is? You ever think about what you think about? You ever think about what what you love, what you desire, what you do? Why do you go to work? Why do we make money? Why do we have families? All of these things. When I think upon my ways and all the ways in which you can think upon your life, when you think upon them, what do you do? The psalmist says, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Because you're my portion, because you've made incredible promises to me, when I think on my ways in my life, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Not only that, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. There's an eagerness there. I don't delay. How many of us do that? I think upon my life, I know what God wants me to do, and I immediately jump to doing it. Or do we hem and haw about it? Is that really what I should do? That mean, Well, that means I have to give up this, or I can't do that. So we try and strike some sort of deal with God, right? Compromise with Him. But if the Lord is our portion, and its promises to us are wonderful and we love them, then the response of the heart should be immediate obedience because we know the one who loves us so well and who speaks to us in such a wonderful way that I would want to be obedient to him. That we would be able to say, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Even in the midst of hardship, right? Verse 61, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. Here it is again that we find in Psalm 119, the psalmist is aware of their opponent. God is my portion. He's made wonderful promises to me. The response is that I want to be obedient to you. I want to be obedient immediately to you. Even though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I don't forget your law. Now this is really where life, this is really when you put your feet to the fire, right? 
We can all say that we're walking in obedience to the Lord, that life is good when things are going easy, but what about when things get hard and difficult? Do you have, what, what, if there was a, what if there was an enemy around you that sought to ensnare you? What if you were trapped? What if you were in prison? What if you were suffering and languishing away in some prison cell for your faith in Christ? Would you still say, I do not forget your law? Would you still in that moment, before the moment of, say, your execution, you would say, but I'm still clinging to the word of God. Come what may, my conscience is held captive to the word of God. That's where life is really found. That's where my hope is. And maybe none of us are in that situation, that dire of a situation now, but we have an opponent that seeks to work us well. And he hates us with a cruel hate. And he would seek to undo us and destroy us and make life miserable for the believer in every way, shape, or form that he possibly could. And even though we don't face those circumstances and the hardships that we do face, do we say, I do not forget your law? What do you have to do in order to not forget something? You have to think about it. You have to remind yourself of it. Things that are unimportant, we tend to forget. In those moments of hardship, in those moments of trial, in those moments of suffering, where do you go? Do you cling to the Word of God? Not only that, in verse 62, at midnight... I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. There's an individual sense of worship at midnight. I rise to praise you. Always having a song to sing at any moment, at any time, being ready and able to rise to worship. Me and my brothers joke all the time when we're talking about it's not really a joke, it's really actually kind of an, an honest question when we're talking about our sermons to one another, and, and the question is, it's the 3 a.m. test, what's your sermon about? Someone were to wake you up at 3 a.m. in the morning, and, at, and, the only, and the first question they asked you out of your groggy slumber is, what's your sermon about on Sunday? Do you know what it is? Is that how well we know the Word of God? Can someone give you the 3 a.m. test? Waking, up, waking you up in the middle of the night, where is your hope? What do you trust in? Why do you live? What do you love supremely above everything else? 3 a.m. test, what's your answer? Hopefully it would be the Lord himself. Not only that individually, but corporately, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. I worship you individually and I worship you corporately. I'm a companion. My friendships are made up. My close circle of friends are made up of those who also fear you and love you. We're like-minded in that way. We have lots, probably concentric circles of people that we know, acquaintances, that we have in our lives, but the people that are close to us, those, those people that you would consider a companion to you in life, 
Do you have that in common? Is your thinking the same? Are you pulling in the same direction? Do you have the same desire? Can you both say, can you say to the person next to you, can you say to your close friend, can you say to your spouse, is the Lord your portion? And have them say, yes, he is. What wonderful fellowship we have with one another when we can look at each other and say, brother, sister, the Lord is our portion. And there's unanimity. We're all in agreement. Amen. Yes, he is. And then he closes, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. And this is why I say my portion is the Lord of love. Because the earth, the earth, O Yahweh, the same Yahweh that is my portion, verse 57, is bookended in verse 64 with filling the earth with his steadfast love. Now I know we can watch the news and you can get online and you can ask yourself the question, how in the world is this earth full of the steadfast love of the Lord? Because I see a lot of things that are unlovely going on right now. We have to understand that God and His sovereignty oversees it all. Whatever my God ordains is right. And it's always governed by His infinite wisdom and His infinite love, and He fills the earth with His love. He still sustains he still brings the rain. He still brings the wind. He still brings forth everything that is needed in order to nourish and bring life on this planet. And because of that, we say, teach me your statutes. I like this portion because it ends on a note of optimism being someone who struggles with optimism. It's encouraging. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love, and we are privileged with the opportunity to be a part of that assault and light, and to be his representatives, his disciples in this world that he has filled with his love. And the one who fills the earth with his steadfast love is my portion. And if you know Christ, he is your portion as well. And so the, my portion is the Lord of love, and that Lord of love is Christ Jesus himself. My portion is Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would be able to say the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we, we struggle with truth of your word at times. But in such a wonderful passage like this, God, where you intend for us to know that being in covenant relationship with you, which you have initiated, and you have established, and you are the one that's faithful, and you keep it, you cling to us, Lord. We want to be people who embrace, we want to be people who love, cherish your word and the, the perfection of it. 
And that's my prayer that you would help us, Lord, to have our hearts that are oriented in that direction so that we might then apply it and live it out in, your, in our lives. Like we would be like the psalmist and say, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. They would be so sweet, so precious, so trustworthy, so valuable. We would treasure them so dearly that we would not hasten to be obedient to them and apply them in our lives. We can do this, Lord, fully and faithfully as we rest in you being our portion. And so help us, Lord, tonight to rest and to be at ease with knowing that we are within the sovereign loving care of the one who fills the earth with his love. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.